about 10 years ago, um, I, I went from my college in Virginia to Massachusetts to meet my wife's family, my then girlfriend's family. I had already met her father. And just a little side story. When I met her father, uh, he came down to Virginia, met me. He brought along one of his buddies who was probably one of the scariest men I'd ever met. Um, and, and not because he was massive and muscular and intimidating in that way, but he was a, an, an older man in his 80s, very short, deep, raspy voice, drives up in a Lincoln Navigator, black Lincoln Navigator, tented windows. We sit down at this restaurant called Cracker Barrel together. And the, her, her father, who grown to love now, we're great, had this man, and he just starts picking my brain with this deep, raspy voice. He goes, Josh, tell me, what do you plan to do with your life? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, is this guy a mobster from Springfield, Massachusetts? It was horrifying. So, so 10 years ago, when I first go to my, my wife's house up in Massachusetts, I had met her father. I had met this, this great, scary man who ended up being really great. I, I love the man. Um, this is my first time meeting her mother and my first time meeting her, her brothers. And, and from this trip, two major things stand out. The first thing that stands out, uh, no relevance of where we're going today, the first thing that stands out is I had on uh, shoes that I thought were pretty cool back then. They were the leather Birkenstocks. Anybody remember the leather Bir- with the rounded toes? And they were like the first time guys could wear girly-looking shoes. And I really thought they were cool. I'll never forget her little brother. I think he was nine years old then. This is the first day I, mean, I just met the kid. He goes, Josh, can I be honest with you? I'm like, yeah, those shoes are ugly. <laughs> and so I appreciate that was hysterical. I'll never forget that. The other thing I'll never forget is her family. That night we get there pulling the classic meet the, meet the family kind of move. And what we do is they say, how about we pull out the old home videos of Becky and, and just total blackmail, watching these, these videos of my, my wife who uh, then just had big, puffy, curly hair. Since then, she's learned how to tame the bush, you know what I mean? But, but I'm telling you, it was big back then and long. And so we just totally, man, it was, it was great blackmail and uh, watch those videos and and also we sat around and looked through old photo albums of her childhood and she's all embarrassed and it was great and uh, what it did for me these pictures and these videos it, it, for me it filled in some of the gaps in her life she had told me she wasn't hiding anything from me but it just filled in oh I didn't know you went to Hawaii cool and so we got to kind of learn a little bit more about her story and uh Total, total good time. And, and really, this is kind of how Mark is arranged, right? Mark is arranged uh, with, with a lot of descriptive, short images of the life of Jesus, clips of the life of, of Jesus. And so that's what we're calling this, this new series, Pictures of, of Jesus, because we're going to get a lot of pictures of, of the life of, of Jesus. Short but important and descriptive, vivid uh, pictures of the man, the message, and the mission so that we might know Jesus better and we might learn from his example. See, we're called to be godly and we're able to know what godly looks like for us because we have God in the flesh as a man living uh, among us. And so let me give you a little bit of background uh, on the book of Mark and we'll spend a little bit of, of time on the background and try to spend the, the bulk of our time in Mark chapter 1. Here's the background. The Holy Spirit, second person of, of the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, and um, he is the author of, of all Scripture. What he does is he uses uh, 
people to pen it. And so what happens is their personality comes out, their culture comes out, their history flavors it a little bit. bit. And, and this gospel, according to Mark, uh, John Mark, who is most commonly referred to as Mark, he, he pens this. And so though the book is anonymous, we, we can know from, from church history and we can know from eternal, internal evidence that, that Mark is the author here. And, and, and so he's the one penning this. And a lot of his... Uh, personality and context really is able to come out uh, in this. Now, the New Testament, the entire New Testament is penned by apostles or close associates of the apostles. Apostles are being people who have a special commissioning from the Lord and people who have been with Jesus. The Apostle Paul has a unique apostleship in that he had seen Jesus on the road, and, and so he too was an apostle. And so the, the, the New Testament is written by apostles or close associates of the apostles. And, and for example, Luke, uh, though he was not an apostle, he was a close associate of the Apostle Paul. And so Luke pens um, the gospel according to Luke. He pens Acts, though he wasn't an apostle. He was close to Paul, there with Paul, to the very end as his physician. And then we have where we're looking uh, for this next few months together, the book of Mark. Mark was not uh, an, uh, an apostle, but he was a close associate of Peter, who was and. and and history tells us that Mark becomes this, this writer and this attendant to, to Peter. And so what he does is he accurately makes a, a huge effort to, he accurately records everything that he could recall from, from Peter's teachings on Jesus. Peter was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. And, and so Mark gets everything from Peter and writes it down. And what happens is as Peter's ministry grows a bit from from Jerusalem and kind of spans out as his ministry go, grows, Mark kind of becomes an assistant of sorts to, to, uh, to Peter. And so as you read through the, the, the gospel here, what happens is, is when it gets to Peter's life, it, it gets very specific compared to some of the other apostles. And it also gets very specific to Peter's weaknesses too, which I appreciate that coming from Mark. So who then is Peter? As we see here uh, from what Ryan read in, in chapter 1, Peter uh, here referred to as Simon. Jesus later changed his name to Peter. Peter is, is one of the men that Jesus calls to drop his net and, and to follow him. And he follows Jesus for three years. Three years of just incredible things happening. He watches Jesus uh, heal people. He watches Jesus feed thousands. He watches Jesus teach uh, just incredible teachings. He watches Jesus accused of, of blasphemy. He watches Jesus ushered through trials and then crucified. He sees Jesus after his, his, his resurrection, defeating death. He sees all these uh, uh, post-resurrection appearances uh, of Jesus. And, and so he has just seen Jesus. And in all of this, Peter has a very special place in that he is in the inner circle of Jesus. And then on top of that, it's, it's arguable, maybe up against uh, John, that, that Peter was the closest person to Jesus. And so after Jesus ascends back into heaven after his ministry here, after he's defeated death, he's done everything he's come to do, he ascends back into heaven. We see Peter just lit up for Jesus. I mean, he is just fired up. The Holy Spirit just fills him with power. We see him preaching in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 4 says that as he's, as he's teaching and he's doing his thing, people are just shocked because he is an ordinary unschooled man just full of of power so we see that in jerusalem and eventually all the way to to rome and along the way we see this guy john mark the author of this gospel uh, alongside of him and so what would happen is people say we want to we want to know the teachings of peter we want to have them recorded we want to remember these things they ask mark 
according to church history, and Mark records all of this that he has heard from Peter along the way. Perhaps he was taking a lot of notes along the way. He records it here for us. Eyewitness testimony from Peter uh, to Mark of the life of Jesus. So really grateful for Mark, really grateful for his work here. But remember, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, all scripture is ultimately God-breathed. So this is breathed out by God. He wrote this through Mark, but it's coming from God. And so as a church, four months in the book of Mark. Now, why Mark? Why Mark? Uh, there's several reasons why we're going to do Mark of, of all the Gospels. First of all, it is most likely that this is the first of the four Gospels that was written only 22 to 32 years after uh, Jesus and his ascension. And so it's super close. I mean, right, right there, uh, people could say, what are you talking about? That's, that's not true. If it wasn't true, they could have challenged it, but it, was, it went unchallenged for, for years and years and years and years. And, and, and so Mark is, is written um, right after Jesus, first one written. Also, it's, it's written for the world to, to know Jesus, uh, but it was written from Rome. And so naturally, the fact that it's written from Rome, it, it really influences his style. It influences his flavor a little bit. It doesn't influence the content, but it influences the style. Much like anything you write today, you're going you're gonna to speak, and, and, and a lot of what you say is going to be flavored by your, your cultural context. Same with Mark. And so Mark is, is really perfect for us today because in many ways, Rome is like the United States. And in a lot of ways, Rome is like the United States. Um, it's a, a major world power of its day. We are obviously a major world power of our day. Rome, in, in many ways, thought they were untouchable. A lot of ways, we just think we are completely untouchable. Also, Rome is this very fast-paced kind of culture. We are clearly a fast-paced culture compared especially to even even just a century ago rome was on the cutting edge i mean constantly seeking bigger better buildings and and technology and i mean think for us same way for example 2010 everybody was all the buzz about the release of the ipad this magical tablet and now here we are 2011 it's like oh yeah the ipad what's next let's move on what's next and and, and so mark is, is 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 teaching from rome and so mark is really it's it's really just appropriate for us it's quick vivid pictures it just kind of gives it to us quickly moves on much like we kind of function in our our society today it, it kind of is a documentary of of sorts so so with mark you're watching dateline nbc whereas with Luke, the Gospel of Luke, for example, Luke has you sit through the entire O.J. Simpson trial and functions as an investigator. So you kind of see the, the difference there. Both are very important. Both are very appropriate. But Mark is, is quick. Give it to you quick, vivid, and, and let's, let's move on. And so practically, here's how we're going to move through the book of, of Mark together. Every week in the worship gathering, we're going to go through through one chapter. Somebody will get up and read the entire chapter. This was a long one. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, but Everybody's gonna, somebody's going to come up and, and read one chapter, and we're, we're obviously not going to be able to preach through every single verse of, of every chapter or go always deep into every single part that we go into, but it will give us a good overview of the life of Jesus. You'll be able to see the context in, in every, every chapter, and in doing it this way, what it also allows us to do is in our connection groups, our small groups at, at homes, apartments, coffee shops, stuff like that, in our connection groups, what we'll be able to do is, is, is touch on some of the stuff that we didn't get to touch on here so i think that'll be kind of a a neat thing and then we get to go deeper in some of the stuff we didn't go as deep as maybe you wanted to go 
in here. And so in 2011, I would challenge you to get plugged into a connection group. If you're not plugged into a connection group, grab one of those white connection cards in your, in your river guide and let us know you're interested in coming. And uh, I think that would be really good for you, especially in conjunction with this, this series, Pictures of Jesus, through the, the book of Mark. And maybe you're thinking, I don't know, that's, that's not my thing. Listen, I know that new environments are tough for people. I mean, if, if, I, if I just didn't go to any new environment that was tough for me, I probably wouldn't have gone to college. I wouldn't have met my wife. You know the deal. New environments are tough, but I would encourage you, get plugged into a connection group. At least give it six weeks, and I, find that, I think you'll find that you'll, you'll grow to love it. If you're already involved in the connection group, uh, let me just encourage you, in 2011, step up your commitment to that group um, and, and just make it a, a major, major priority. And and here's the thing, if you miss a week of a connection group, I know it's, it's not a big deal maybe to you, but it is a big deal to the rest of the group because it does affect the group dynamic. And so if you would make it a real priority, I think that would be uh, really helpful for all of us. And, and we're going to have some great groups this year. I'm really excited about that. And, and I think God wants to do something big. You ready? Mark, here we go. Let's do this. Mark chapter 1. Uh, let's, let's go verse 1. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We'll stop there. Hopefully this verse helps you see where Mark is going. Think Rome, think United States. We're a very get-to-the-point society. Quick commercials, fast information. I mean, in, in the course of three minutes, we today can be sitting on our sofa. In three minutes, we can watch five commercials. We can have our, our laptop on our lap, check what our friends are up to via Facebook. We can check our stocks on our, on our iPhone and eat dinner in three minutes, right? I mean, we're very fast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. And so Mark is, is that way, just straight to the point. Here it is. Get it done so I can move on kind of culture. Fast-paced, action-driven. He, he prefers uh, action Greek verbs that just show motion constantly in his, his uh, language. And so we see this quick to the point kind of Mark. In Mark, there's, there's 18 miracles, action, right? And there's only four parables recorded. So it just kind of gives you a little picture of Mark. So verse 1, Mark skips the genealogy of Jesus. He skips the birth and the childhood of Jesus. He gets straight to the action. Whereas Matthew, for example, gives us the, the genealogy. Luke, for example, gives us the, the, the story of John, the, the baptizer. John gives us the theological setup of, of who Jesus is. He's the word, gives us all of that. But Mark, he says, let's get straight to the point. The point is the gospel Jesus Christ. He says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel means this. It means good news. It's, it's the good news proclaimed by Jesus, proclaimed uh, about Jesus, that he has come. He's saving us from our brokenness, our sin, sin that is killing us physically, killing us spiritually, and will kill us into eternity. And, and, and he is so loving that God would come and he would live among us. Uh, he would die for us. He would give to us restoration that's that's our god that's the gospel from christ and so the gospel is jesus's plan on how he's going to restore all things so he says the gospel ready mark chapter one we'll go through a few verses now in the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god as it is written in isaiah the prophet behold i send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make his path straight John appeared, baptizing him in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were coming out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. Uh, 
confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So Mark gets straight to the point. Verse 1, it's the gospel of Jesus. Verses 2 and 3, he quotes this 800-year-old prophecy from Isaiah, 800 to, to that day, year old prophecy from Isaiah, that God would send one to prepare the way for Jesus. The people had been waiting and waiting for this one who would prepare the way. They've been waiting and waiting for the Messiah who would save them from Satan and sin and death. And then in verse 4, it happens. It says, John appeared. He appeared. Now this is John the baptizer, not John the disciple, for those of you. Just make, make sure you're clear on that. John the baptizer, uh, he appears. He's, a, he's out in the desert, in the wilderness, and he is baptizing people in the Jordan River. And, and listen, baptism to them wasn't a foreign idea. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was part of their culture. Today you can go there and you can find these, these big baths. They were ritualistic baths that people would, would engage in. Uh, but but don't don't let this happen. Don't let the the similarities between Bible and, and culture cause you to question the validity of of our faith. Some people find that uh, something that that they do sometimes. It causes them to question the validity of the faith, as in as if we're this copycat faith. And and what God does is He takes cultural norms and illustrates truth through Him. And so that's why we today engage in baptism, though it was even older than than the Christian faith, because God took a cultural norm and illustrates a great truth through it. And so baptism wasn't a new thing. And John's baptism that he was he was having people uh, take part in was a baptism of repentance from sin and turning to God for the forgiveness of sin and turning to God in hope and expectation of, of the Messiah who's coming. And, and so this baptism of repentance, repent means to turn. And when you turn from sin, you turn from anything, you're always turning and facing something. And so you turn from sin, you turn and you face God. And, and, and so John also, it says that John was a little bit different, right? Maybe you have that friend who's just a little bit different, you know what I mean? John was a little bit different. He was this guy... He's out in the wilderness. He's wearing cam- uh, camel's hair. He's got a leather belt on. He's, he's eating locusts and, and wild honey. Sounds tasty, right? And, and let me just clarify John a little bit, all this strange info that we hear about John, because I don't know about you, but I've always just thought, John, just a weirdo. What's up with that? Why is he, why is he, just looking through the scripture, his, his attire, as you go back through the Old Testament, his attire is not really all that out of the norm for desert preachers. And you go into the desert, these desert preachers, it was, it was kind of this place of preparation. It was kind of this place of, of purification. Even Jesus, as we're going to see in a minute, is out in the desert for, for a, a period in the, in the wilderness. And then also this, this locust eating thing, it doesn't tell us that that John was crazy, what it tells us is that John was humble. Not that he was crazy, but that he was humble. See, desert locusts are even still eaten today by the poor in the Middle East and still eaten today by the poor in some parts of, of Africa. So it doesn't show us that, that John is crazy, but that he's humble and he's living uh, a life of humility among the poor, even though he has this spectacular, spectacular role in, in our history. And so John is fulfilled fulfilling prophecy and fulfilling it Isaiah uh, 40 verse 3 or as we see here in verses uh, 2 and 3 as one 
crying out in the wilderness as prophesied. He's fulfilling that role. Uh, Verse 7, if you look at verse 7, tells us that John is is humbly pointing people to Jesus. He's like that flashing arrow that you see outside of um, stores and things saying, Jesus this way, Jesus this way, humbly declaring Jesus is coming and I'm not even worthy. I'm not even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals, preparing the way. And and John, uh, the disciple John, chapter 1, we see that, that John the Baptist is asked, are you the Christ? And he humbly says, no, 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 I'm not the Christ. I'm just pointing people to Jesus. I'm preparing people for Jesus. And then look at verses 2 and 3 again. We see that word prepare twice. Prepare, prepare. That's what he's doing is he's preparing people for Jesus. And what I want to look at just for the next little while together uh, this morning is this idea of, of preparation. This idea of, of preparation. See, John humbly does his part to prepare people for Jesus. And then what we also see is Jesus humbly doing his part to be a part of this, this, this uh, redemption that we experience to, to bring us back to, to life in, in the Lord. And so he engages in this history-altering, life-changing role. Humility uh, is, is all over it. And in this chapter, verse, uh, chapter uh, 1 of Mark, what we see is just Jesus preparing, preparing, preparing for what we're going to see in the rest of, of this book. This whole book really leads us through a journey to the cross uh, in Jesus, and, and this chapter is his preparation for that. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. How about you? Are you prepared? Have you been uh, making your preparations for how you're going to live and how you're going to be victorious and successful on, on this journey we call life, this spiritual journey? so that you can play your role like John did, even like Christ did. See, John prepares people for Jesus. Jesus prepares for his ministry so that he can redeem us. Now, how about us? How are we preparing for the journey? So what I want to look at is this. Four essential preparations. Four essential preparations for, for the journey. Four preparations for the journey. And I think it's real good for us as we kick off this, this new year together for preparations for the for the journey see god wants you to live life well he wants you to to finish well but you're going to have to you're going to have to prepare you got to prepare several years ago um some buddies of mine aaron was one of them and and myself and three other guys we uh decided to head up to new hampshire and to uh go on this this several day uh backpacking trip uh, through the presidential range in, in the White Mountains, most famous mountain, and all of that is uh, Mount Washington. Um, notably, uh, Mount Washington is the highest peak in the Northeast. It is known for some of the most erratic weather in the entire world. It actually has the, uh, the highest recorded wind speed at 231 miles per hour uh, back in 1934. And so here us guys are, and we are just complete amateurs and we're ready to conquer this this range and 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 we we were warned we talked to a lot of people and and they said be prepared be prepared be prepared and so us five guys in order to to be prepared we held several meetings along the way uh, in preparation for this trip knowing that was coming and we got together uh, we knew that we had to prepare and, and and so one of the first things we did is we talked to people who had done it before and we said, what route did you take? How did you go? Did you go from east to west? Uh, did you go west to east? Which, where did you start? You started about Madison. You started on the other side. And just kind of figured it out, what people had done, what their experiences were. And then we also uh, got a map 
and just started to draw out the, the different routes. And then we nailed down, here's the route that we're going to take. It worked out good for us because we could park here. We could go through the range, and it kind of loops around. doesn't fully connect, so we get off the road here. We, we'd hitch a bus, and then we'd go back to the ranger station. So that was our plan. We were all ready to go, and, and, and we had it planned out. And then the morning of the trip, we get to the ranger station. And at the ranger station, there was a table, and it, it was one of these 3D topography maps of this, this range. And so we were really looking through the map, trying to sort it out, just make sure we were really clear. You know, now that we had this 3D image, we could really understand it, figuring it all out. Go here, not here. We want to end up here. Definitely don't end up here. Just really sorting it out. And, and then in all of that, somebody goes, goes, hey, guys, what is this right here? We see a plaque on the side of the table. And on the plaque is listed hundreds of people who have died on the range over the course of however many years. And so suddenly it just hit us. Okay, where we were serious before, now we're really serious. We will end up here. We must end up here. We do not want to die. In fact, we never, the, the end of the story is this, we never finished our trip. We only got a day and a half into it. We couldn't finish because the remnants of Hurricane Ernesto down in Florida came up upon us, so we just had to end the trip. We were drenched. It was terrible, so we never conquered it, so don't think anything of me. I never conquered it, but I will someday, and, 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 but we were serious. We have, got to, we have got to get this right. We want to end up here, and, and, and for those of us today who are, who are thinking seriously about our faith and about our life and about our journey, you need to know, you need to know where you want to end up. You've got to sort it out where you want to end the journey. You've got to know that. So many of us just kind of casually go through life. And if you don't make a plan, and if you don't prepare, life is just going to take you where life takes you. You need to know where you want to end up and, and make plans for that. And so on this journey, you need, to, uh, you need to enter the journey with the end in mind and even some checkpoints along the way and and let me tell you this I believe with all my heart from scripture I believe with all my heart that it doesn't end here it doesn't end at the grave but that it can end in eternity for for all of us we are more than just physical beings we go on into eternity and so are you living like that are you living like this life is is, is short and eternity is very 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 long are you living like that verse 8 here's what john says he says i baptize you with water but he speaking of jesus will baptize you with the holy spirit that is the the person the presence the power of god that resides in all of us christians the holy spirit and this 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 holy spirit god takes residence in us at the moment of our salvation and in the book of of matthew chapter 3 verses 11 and 12 it's the exact same story here just recorded uh in by matthew and matthew gives us a little more detail of what john the the baptizer says and he quotes john as saying this a little more than what we we have him saying here He, he quotes john as saying that jesus will baptize you with the holy spirit and with fire he'll baptize you with the holy spirit and with fire in verse 12 uh, in, in Matthew chapter 3 says that for those who don't turn to Jesus will be cast into unquenchable fire. And so what we see here is that there are two kinds of fire that will come upon our lives. All of us. Two kinds of fire. One is, is the fire of judgment. And I pray that no one goes there. We pray that you heed God's warning. 
and don't end up there. I pray that that's not your end. The other kind of fire is the purifying fire of the Holy Spirit that purifies you and and leads you to eternal life. And I pray that we all end up there. And so for those of you today who have never given your life to Jesus Christ, I I pray that you would, that today you you would say, Jesus, I need you, and that Holy Spirit purifying fire would come upon you, sanctify you, and give you uh, entrance into the the end, the kingdom of, of God in eternity. And so that first preparation for the journey is this, prep for eternity. Know where you're going, know where you want to end up, prep for eternity. Establish where you're going. Are you bound for heaven because of Jesus and you trusted in him and the Holy Spirit fires upon you? Or are you bound for the real fires of, of hell? Now listen, it was not created for you. Hell was not created for you. It's a scary thing to talk about. Nobody wants to talk about it. But know this, it wasn't, it wasn't created for you. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 says, it was created for Satan, that God might in the end prove himself victorious over Satan and cast him there, but Satan will bring you there with him if he can deceive you. It wasn't created for you, but Satan gladly will bring you there with him. It goes on, uh, verses 9 through 11. Let's read it. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So we have this confirmation from God on the life of Jesus and and this commissioning of sorts on the life of Jesus. And so we've seen in the previous verses this this idea of of spirit baptism. And and, and now here what we have is the example of, of water baptism and as christians today we practice water baptism after people have given their lives to jesus christ place faith in him we practice this thing we call water baptism one because it's the example of jesus here in mark chapter one two because jesus commands it in the last chapter of mark that we participate this and and what it really does is it identifies for us that or it it proclaims for us that we identify with jesus in his death that's the the dunking under the water is his burial and then his resurrection to new life that we identify that we proclaim that and we have experienced that we have died to self and we have been raised to new life in christ and, and some of you, you you've never done this some of you you'd say i'm a christian i trust the lord but you've never part uh, participated in, in this thing we call water baptizing. It is, it is the first step of obedience for you um, to Christ. And I would just call you to do that. Maybe you've never done that. Talk to me afterwards. I would love to, to walk you through that and just talk to you a little bit about that. But it's, it's a very important step. doesn't save you any more than putting a ring on my finger makes me married. But what a ring on my finger does is it shows people I'm married. I was at Starbucks the other day. I'm sitting down. This girl says, hey, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, yeah, what's up? I thought she had, there's my Bible was on the table, so I thought she wanted to talk about the Bible, or some people just out of the blue get ticked about the Bible and say, what, you believe that? So I, I was ready. I thought she was going to talk about something crazy. She goes, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, yeah, what's up? What do you want to talk about? She goes, no, I just wanted to talk to you. And Becky said, did you flash your ring at that point? My wife, did you flash it? I'm like, oh, I don't really think about that kind of stuff. My wife does. She'd be like, hello. But I didn't know. I didn't know. Listen, putting a ring on my finger doesn't make me married, but I have a ring on my finger because I'm married. Getting baptized doesn't save you, but you've been saved, and so you want to show people, and and you want to partake in in this thing we call baptism. So prepare for eternity. Know your destination. Live in light of it, and, and, and know, has he given you eternal life? Have you been 
as baptism symbolizes, have you died to yourself and risen to new life in Christ? Prep for eternity. Here's the next preparation, a little faster. Prep for difficulty. Prep for difficulty. Look at verses 12 and 13. The Spirit immediately, catch that, this immediately happened. He had no time to breathe. Immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. So it says the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. What happens immediately? Immediately in Jesus' ministry. Now immediately wilderness, immediately temptation, immediately wild animals. Look at me. The Christian life can be difficult. The Christian life will be difficult. It is amazing, but it is also, also difficult. And listen, if you don't get that in your head now, the shock is going to be too much for you to bear when difficulty comes. It is unreal to me how many Christians are surprised when it gets tough. What? God, are you serious? Why, why is life tough? I follow you. I follow God. Why is, why is life tough? And they jump ship when it gets tough. Here's what the scripture says. Jesus says in John 16, 33, he says, In the world you will have tribulation. Will, guaranteed. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So I'm not telling you life is going to be terrible, period. I'm saying life is going to be tough. But Jesus is victorious. We look forward to heaven. He's sanctifying us, making us more and more holy, increasingly holy through this process of, of being refined by the fires of life and life's trials. So take heart, he says, I have over, overcome the world. Don't be surprised. Verse uh, 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I love that. Don't, don't act like something strange is happening to you. It, it, it comes for, for all of us. I want to be honest. It is coming. It is coming. It's going to be difficult. It's, it's hard to stay holy. It's hard to live for the Lord in the midst of all the temptation that is, is upon us. Maybe for you at the workplace, it's hard to be true to the Lord. Maybe for you in the gym, it's hard to be true to the Lord. Some of your recreational activities, maybe it's hard to be true to the Lord. It, it's difficult. I know it's difficult to live for, for Jesus. It's also hard to trust in him when the world starts to crumble around you. When people get sick, people die, you get sick, you go through relational heartaches, all kinds of things happen. It is hard to, to trust in Jesus when tragedy strikes. So here's the thing. I, I, want, I just want to give that to you, and I tell you guys that a lot, because here's the deal. You can either be surprised or you can be prepared. And I pray that we'll be prepared and not surprised and jump ship when it comes. It's coming. Prepare for, for difficulty. What did Jesus do when the difficulty came to him in the wilderness? What did he do when, when he was even being tempted? He was tempted in every way we are, Scripture says, yet he was without sin. What does he do? Other, other accounts of the gospel here tell us uh, what happens. Again, Mark just tells us he was tempted. Other gospel accounts tell us that he responded with Scripture to Satan. Satan will try to twist it. He says, oh, no, no, here's what it actually says. Psalm 119.11, incredible verse. We need to let it be more than just a verse we learned in our childhood, but a verse we practice today. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I want to challenge you. Memorize scripture. 
Memorize scripture. I'm not going to give you a sticker like you did at you know, children's church as a child for memorizing scripture. Memorize it because it is powerful and it will lead you, God will lead you through it to, to victory. I want to encourage you to read scripture that is appropriate for what you're struggling through and what you may struggle through. Reread it. Get to know it. Well, find meaningful verses for maybe some things that constantly trip you up. If anxiety is, is really heavy in your life and you just constantly struggle with anxiety, even if you're not there now, but you know it will come because that's just the pattern of your life. Memorize Philippians 4. And, 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 or, or Philippians, uh, yeah, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Or maybe if lust is a struggle for you, memorize Ephesians 5, verse 3. Find appropriate scripture and memorize it. Jesus did it. On, on my hiking trip, we were prepared for difficulty. People warned us it's going to be tough. Things happen. Be ready. Be ready. And so we had our first aid kit. We had a tent repair kit. We, we, were, we were ready. We were ready for, for difficulty when it comes. We, we were a little too prepared, by the way. We, had, uh, we, we went to uh, the grocery store and stocked up on um, trail mix. <laughs> a little too much. Our, our packs, we probably had, I don't know, five pounds of trail mix in each of our bags. And in the end, we didn't even touch, you know, Maybe 10% of it. <laughs> what if we killed ourselves with all this trail mix. But we were a little too prepared. But be prepared for difficulty. It is coming. It's coming. It's coming. Next preparation. Prep for community. Prep for community. Look at verses 14 and, and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Or turn from your sin, turn to God, place faith, believe in, in the gospel. So this is the message, the very first command coming from Jesus here. Repent, turn, change. And, and listen, that made people really angry. It, it ticked people off, which led to difficulty. So he was prepared for the difficulty. And here's the other thing that he did um, that helped him with difficulty is he has community around him. Look at verses 16 through 20 now. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who Jesus later changes his name to Peter. He saw Simon and Andrew, brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will uh, make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, they saw, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, with the hired servants and followed him. So what does Jesus do? Jesus starts to call people, follow me. These people will eventually start to do ministry with Jesus alongside of him. Ultimately, he is calling people to discipleship. Even today, he's calling you to be a disciple of his. But, but for, for our purposes today and the preparation of Jesus and the example of Jesus, here's what he's doing. is He's surrounding himself with companionship for the journey. He's surrounding himself with people who are going to be there with them. The book of Hebrews says that in every way, Jesus can relate with our humanity. In, in, in every way. And so he, he had emotional needs. He did. He had, he had a need for companionship as, as we do as well. And so he surrounded himself with people on the journey. Flawed people. Flawed people. I might be that friend in your life that's a flawed person. I'm telling you, he had flawed people in his life that were his companions. But he had companions he surrounded himself with those people and how about you have you surrounded yourself with people who can be there to support you who can be there to lift you up for some of you it's it's easy it just comes they're there for others of you you have to be intentional 
very intentional about surrounding yourself with, with community. And, 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 and our culture is just not set up to foster community very well anymore. I mean, think about just some of the cultural things that, that are taking pl- place. Travel just, just out of, of 95 here into suburbia. Whereas once there were front porches, there are now what? Back porches. New developments have back porches. People want to be private. It's not about your neighbors. It's about me and my family. More land. Let's get comfortable. Or, or, or even, <laughs> I was reading the, the Time Magazine person of the year is Mr. Facebook himself, Mark Zuckerberg, right? And, and just some, some statistics and things they were talking about that in that article, just about how our social networks have changed, right? Where it's just a just a few years ago, the normal social, social network was, you know, 20, 30, something like that. Today, you can have, have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shallow relationships versus fewer, very deep relationships. And so there are all these cultural shifts starting to happen. And, and my point is this, that our culture doesn't set us up real well for community anymore. It, it seems to be pulling us, uh, us apart. And so we have to be very, very in intentional in developing meaningful relationships that will support us. And so do you know who you can call on when, when some kind of spiritual struggle comes your way? Do you know who uh, you will call on to support you when personal tragedy comes as it will come for all of us? Do you know who you can look to when, when marital difficulty comes, when parental difficulty comes? Do you have people who know you well enough that when you stray from the Lord, they can call you out and can bring you back in? Do you have those kind of relationships? You have to be intentional and you have to prepare for this. You have to prepare to this. I'll say this. I want to encourage you to commit yourself to church uh, attendance, to commit yourself to uh, a connection group, and be that for somebody else, be that community for somebody else. It's important. I, I say this not to build us up. We're brand new. We're, we're starting out. Not to build us. I say this for you, out of love for you, so that you can have all that the church has to offer you so that you might grow and be supported and have that community that God has set up for you in, in the church. Be community for other people too. Seek out the disconnected. Seek out the lone rangers. Probe them. Probe them with questions. I was, I was on the airplane the other day, and it worked out beautifully. You know, there's three seats and then two seats. My wife got put on the seat with the two kids, and I was, I was like, yes, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. There's some truth in that. Okay. So I was, and I was sitting beside this guy, and he was, he was sitting there. I started talking conversation with him, and we got deeper in the conversation. The guy prided himself in the fact that he was... I don't need anybody. I don't really have any friends. I'm good, though. I don't really need to talk to anybody. And as I started to probe a little bit more, he started just pouring things out. It was very clear that though he prided himself in being a lone ranger, he wanted somebody to talk to, and I just got it all, right? Probe people. Probe the lone rangers with questions. Be community for, for somebody else. In order for, for spiritual vitality to happen in your life, I really believe that community needs to be a part of, of your life. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 4, read those, those narratives of, of the early church or the summaries amidst the narrative of, of the early church and you'll see that it's just normal. It's just normal. What we do is not normal. That was, that was normal Christian community. I mean, even here in Mark chapter 1, Jesus begins to model for us community and, and throughout the rest of the chapter, we're not going to get to it today, but throughout the rest of the chapter, here's what we see. These people hanging out with Jesus Doing life with Jesus, relating with Jesus, seeing him move in power. It just changes their lives. They're around each other, rubbing shoulders with each other. One of my four-year-old's favorite 
Bible verses to quote is Ecclesiastes 4.9. He says it all the time. Two are better than one. He loves to bring it up when it's time for him to clean up his toy room. He goes, yes, Dad, two are better than one because if it's just me, it's going to take a really long time. But if, you know, my Luca comes in, Lucas's brother comes and helps, and you come, we can get it done a lot faster. You know, and he, I'm, just, I'm, I'm proud of him, you know, that he's, he's using Bible verses appropriately, but it's, it, man, he's smart. He's sticking it to me. And uh, listen, in hindsight, my, my trip to New Hampshire was incredible, but it would not have been so incredible if I wasn't in the, the, the Hurricane Ernesto alone, if I was in it alone, it just wouldn't have been that great. But I was able to share it with other people and, and experience that with, with other people. We shared in the joys together. And when it got really tough and if I was by myself, I would have quit and turned around. We pushed each other on. That's Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two are better than one. And even more than that, I can't imagine. I can't imagine being on this spiritual journey alone. I want to encourage you, be intentional about community and prepare yourself for it. Final one, prep for longevity. Prep for, for longevity. Nothing breaks my heart more than seeing a person who once loved Jesus so much, so deeply, just flame out in, the, in their faith. They weren't prepared for longevity. Because here's a, here's a common mistake that people make. They try to live off of one big, powerful spiritual experience and then they're done. And then they run out of fuel. Listen, you have got to become a self-feeder. You've got to become a self-fueler. And, and, and you've got to learn to fuel up yourself spiritually. Or that spiritual tank is just going to run dry. What's the example of Jesus? He filled up. So he, he has this community around him. They begin to see him start to do uh, these miracles. Healing a man with an unclean spirit has been alluded to. Uh, 20 through 28. The, the spirit, this is called the spirit says to to jesus he says have you come to destroy us so even the demons know who jesus is i love that moving forward he heals uh people and then we get to verse 35 of of mark chapter one look at it and rising early in the morning while it was still dark he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed and simon that would be peter who mark is writing and getting this information from and simon those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go up to the, to the next towns that I might preach there also, for that's why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So he continues on, but what happened that morning? He fueled up. He, he fueled up. Simon is, is out looking for Jesus. And, and where does he find him? He finds him in a quiet place, in a desolate place, and he's praying. Jesus is fueling up, meeting with God, has his time alone with his Father, just refueling. We have got to become self-feeders. Over, over my, my life, I've found, I would say, four key components of becoming a self-feeder. You might just want to write these down. Four key components of becoming a self-feeder. I want to just encourage you to resolve uh, to engage in and be committed to. The first one, very simply, is church church i've seen it time and time and time again that people decide that they're not going to put a stake in the ground that i will always be at church i will always be in in sunday worship and and what happens is things come up and because that that commitment wasn't so firm they start to fade away sports uh, late saturday night or it's a good day to go to the beach good day to go skiing and they don't revolve things around their their worship schedule and and then church attendance becomes a once-a-month kind of deal, slowly becomes a, a twice-a-month 
deal. And here's what happens is after that first justification is made, the other ones just easily, easily follow. And, and it slips into monthly church attendance, quarterly church attendance. Now you're the classic Christmas and Easter and Mother's Day to make mommy happy kind of church uh, attender. I would, I would encourage you, commit always to church we're, we're trying to get to a point where where we commit to we'll go always even on vacation we're going to find a church and and go to the church and, and we just want to not justify it ever because of what jesus did for us we just want to be there and worship him whenever we can with people because that's what he's called us to and i'll tell you this though church attendance is not enough so here's the next uh, essential component i would say get in a group get in a group a midweek connection group is huge for you to keep your faith alive. You come, you rub shoulders. It's more discussion-based. You can hang out. You can eat together. You can talk together. You have friendship and fellowship. It's midweek, so it's another shot to, 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 to really fuel you. Here's the next thing. Serve. You've got to serve. Begin to serve others. It's incredible how when you start to look at other people, you plug in and you serve other people, what happens is God just starts to light you on fire. He just starts to encourage your heart. And you just start to really burn for, for, for him. And, and I would encourage you, serve. Get plugged into a reach team here. Those connection cards have some things that you can check and say, I'm interested in this. By checking it doesn't say I'm committing to it. It just says I'm interested in it. And we'll, we'll get in touch with you. Serve. And here's the last one because those aren't going to do it alone. You can't just come here and have somebody teach you. The, the last one is this, personal devotion plan. You have got to be in prayer and you've got to be in the scriptures on your own feeding yourself have a plan in place you got to have a plan in place if something's important to you just like for me if something's important to me i'm going to make a plan i'm going to put it on the calendar you've got to do that three big questions are this when where and what what are you going to do when where and 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 what so that you can put it on the calendar here's what you're going to do nail these down when are you going to meet with god jesus when did he meet with god he got with the Father when? Early in the morning. Early in the morning, he, he went and, and got with the Father. You need to know your best time. Maybe early in the morning is, is not super great for you. Maybe it's lunch break at work. Maybe it's before uh, you go to sleep and, and you, uh, you do it that way. But you know when you're best. And, and so when? How about where you will meet with God? Jesus, his where was a desolate place. He got in a desolate place. I've got to get in a desolate place because otherwise my kids are going to like jump on top of me and rip me to shreds while I'm trying to read the Bible. In fact, they'll, they'll also rip my Bible to shreds. I just recently had a page ripped out of my Bible. Uh, so get, get somewhere where, where it's good for you. He found a desolate place. Whatever works best for you. Some, some of you, I'm telling you, this is good. Go to Starbucks. Go to Starbucks. Sit down. It's something about the environment, the, you, know, the, you know, the jazz music and your beret, you know, your, your little cap sideways and you're doing your thing with a latte it, it, man you can read well try it out do whatever it takes but find a spot that works good for you and then what when where and what what did jesus do he was praying he was praying he had a plan here's what he's doing for us what is the what is the what how are you going to get into scripture maybe for you it's a devotional guide dig into a devotional guide. maybe for you it's the it's the book of luke is always a great place to start for you maybe the book of john Another thing that we handed out last week, and, and they're still on the, the connections area uh, this week if you want one, is this personal Bible read-through plan. I would encourage you to grab this. It's, it's just a great way for you to go through the Bible in a year. Uh, if you get 3.25 verse, or chapters uh, a day, that'll get you through the Bible in a year. Um, I would encourage you to grab one of these, fold it up, put it in your Bible, and start doing it. But get a plan. Get a plan. Church, group, serve, personal devotional plan so that you might prep 
for longevity. So here it is. Let's review these. The preparations for a spiritual journey are these. Prep for eternity. Prep for difficulty. Prep for community. And prep for longevity. You've got to fuel up. You've got to fuel up. Prep for longevity. These were are, these are model for us in Christ. And in the end, he gets to the end of the journey and he is victorious. He's victorious. We read that Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. Sitting symbolizes that he accomplished his mission. And I want you to be sitting. I want you to be victorious in the end. That you finish well. And so you need to prepare to finish well. Prepare not to flame out. Prep for eternity, difficulty, community, and longevity. We'll close now. And, and as we're closing, I just want you to be thinking, just kind of evaluation. Maybe God's hit you with something that's just something that for you, you need to prepare for. Maybe God's given you something that you just need to be thinking through. Maybe you need to make a plan. I want to encourage you to, before, before you go to bed at night, nail it down. Put a plan in place. Maybe call somebody and say, will you help me be committed in this? But nail it down and be prepared. One more thing is this. Some of you in here, you don't know the Lord. You never place faith in Jesus Christ alone. Here's what I want to show you. Back in, in, in verse uh, 15, first words out of Jesus' mouth in his ministry are this. The time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Now is the time for you. He says, here's what you do. You repent and you believe the gospel. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never turned from your sin, turned from being your own Lord of your own life and completely self-sufficient. You never turn from that and turn to God and believe in him and believe in his provision through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his victory over Satan and sin and death. Maybe you've never done that. I would call you today, today to repent and believe. And, and the Bible says that when that happens, you are transferred. You're transferred from this earth and you're transferred into the kingdom of God and you have been saved and you've given eternal life. Your destination is secure. I would call you to that today. All you have to do is simply cry out to God and say, God, I want to give you my life today. Let me pray.